Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, you're about to listen to one of two year-end episodes featuring our host Renee Stubbs as well as cultural attaché Andrea Pekovic. The two of them go deep on first the women of 2023 and then the men. We'll be posting them in the next couple of days, but I wanted to call your attention to our newsletter because those of you who are living in New York City have an incredible opportunity to come see us live. We're doing a live podcast and holiday market here in New York City. Check out our newsletter. We'll be announcing it. You can RSVP. There will be prizes. There will be giveaways. There will be guest appearances and there will be an incredible holiday market where you can grab some racket stuff for the loved ones in your life. Our racket newsletter can be subscribed to at our website. Don't miss it. See you soon. If they get an inflamed hoof, they have to be killed. Okay, one, two, one, two. Okay, it is, I guess, chapter two of the roundup of the year of the best top 10 players on that WTA2 and ATP tour last week. We, uh, we did it where we talked about the women. Um, or I didn't even know if we're going to say last week. We'll just say last pod was uh, talking about the women, wrapping up the women, how happy we were about everything that happened last year on the or, or this year still on the WTA tour. But I am joined once again by the one and only great, fantastic, amazing, beautiful, greatest eyebrows of all time, my favorite German um, queen of the writing, uh, best author as a former professional tennis player. <laughs> That's very specific. Andrea Pekovic. <laughs> it's like, you're the best writer who used to be a tennis player on the women's side from Darmstadt. From Darmstadt. Thank Andrea Pekovic. Thank you very much. <laughs> Listen, the thing is, it's funny, is that um, I wish I could write like you, but then again, you write in German, so I don't even know how well yeah, you write. Yeah, that's. Uh, I always say that my uh, my boyfriend Jesse, he thinks I'm Hemingway, but he doesn't read German, so I could literally tell him whatever I want. I have read uh, many of your articles in the Racket Magazine, and so I know that you're a very good writer. So Thank you very much. Joined the, by the one my favorite compliment that you gave me was my eyebrows. People seem to neglect I don't. the form and shape of my eyebrows. They are the only redeeming quality about myself. So thank you for shouting that. Right. Out. Skin. And thank you. Skin. Oh, thank you, Renee. Now, yeah. n- enough about me. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about you. You have some You're very. You're supposed ex- to reciprocate by saying, and you are, you know, whatever about me, but it's fine. It's fine. I will, I will no, do, this is I a one way friendship. In, I will leave that in later. But okay. what I'm very excited about, you have some great news for everyone. We mentioned it on the last pod, but we couldn't give 100% certainty. But there is exciting news about the live podcast yes. recording. Caitlin Tell us all and about I, it. Um, sadly, you will not be in town because no, you're going back to. Not. The Deutschland, back to 
the mother country for Christmas. <laughs> but uh, on December 17th, for those that are fans of the pod, uh, fans of tennis in the tri-state area or, or wherever you're from, you can bump onto the jump onto the old train too from anywhere in the East Coast. Uh, we are having a live podcast December 17th. We have some goodies to give away. We have some special guests that hopefully will be coming on board. Sadly, not Petco. She's gone. Um, but we are so block out the 17th of December in the afternoon. We're going to have a great live podcast here in New York City um, in the Gramercy Park area of New York. Uh, we will give out more details uh, when it gets a bit closer. But we're going to have some fun stuff to give away. And we did a live podcast, Petco. You didn't come to that in Wimbledon years ago. And it was so much fun. And we had interactive stuff with the crowd. And it was great. So December 17th, if you're a fan of the tennis, you live in the tri-state area. Caitlin Thompson and I will be doing the Renee Stubbs Tennis Podcast live from New York. All right, let's get to the men's wrap-up. Let's get to the men's. And just as a little um, addendum to the whole live podcasting, there will be prizes. Yeah, I, I already said that. I Gifts heard. and prizes. There will be. But it is important to stress out because yeah. nobody's coming because stress of out. you. Stress, stress out. <laughs> stress out. Because uh, everyone is coming because of the prices. Let's get into it. I enjoy. That's why I'm taking over. It's not to... Because uh, you just are that person. I am. No, I enjoy hearing your thoughts on tennis and this may be my compliment my German way of complimenting (laughs) you is I can't say you're great you're amazing I have to give it through uh, little little cues here and there and I'm I enjoy your thoughts on tennis very very much and that's why I somehow weirdly turned into the interviewer on the Renee Stubbs (laughs) tennis (laughs) podcast (laughs) but um, but let's get into it Great, great season. Yeah, great season. With some amazing rivalries. We talked about it on the last part. A new rivalry may be coming up between Djokovic and Yannick Sinner. Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic played some incredible matches. But let's get straight into it. Number one in the world. Best player of the year. Best player of the season. Best player of the decade, really. Best player, best player of, of all, all time. time. Novak Djokovic. Seven titles. Three Grand Slams. ATP finals and the finals of Wimbledon and almost won that Wimbledon finals as well so he was very close to winning uh, the Grand Slam Um, what did you make of his season he played much less than he did in the last years which was probably Uh, due uh, to not being vaccinated because he still couldn't come remember to India whilst in Miami Oh, oh, I forgot that. Right, oh, that okay, didn't get okay. lifted but until But just in May. general, also when I think when he broke the record at 377 weeks of being number one in the world, he broke, I think, Steffi Graf's record with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, he just stopped playing small tournaments right away, which I love. Okay, so I'm going to say yeah, right but away, I don't before think- I hear your thoughts, I have to say... I am so here for villain era Novak Djokovic. <laughs> That's all I ever wanted Stop of him. That's all I ever wanted of him. I always wanted him to take this role and be F you to everyone. I'm so much better than everyone and I'm going to own it. I'm going to yell at the audience. I'm going to blow kisses at people who try to disturb me and I'm going to win it all. That's all I ever wanted from him. So I'm so happy he's leaning into that villain era. Yeah, you have and, said that uh, forever. I have said that forever. Forever. How long? You're I think like, for 10 years I've been saying that. You're like... You're like um, I, he's, you know, all of these guys like Rafa and Roger and, you know, they're so well behaved on the court. They, you know, they, that's why people love them and, you know, they just want to love them. And then there's, there's this bipolar Novak, 
right? Where he's like trying to have everyone love him and then he's telling them to F off and then he's kissing to them. And it's like it, it, you have always said just embrace that about mm. you. You're never going to be that person that's going to be well-behaved on the court and all that sort of – it's just not in your nature to be like that all the time. He's an incredible loser. He's unbelievable he at the good. net. Yes. When he shakes hands, he's like – He's, it's almost like he becomes these guys like older brother or father because yeah. he's so much older than some of them now. But when it comes to actually playing the match, he's like, fuck you guys. Screw the crowd, screw everyone. And it's like you have been wanting him to just embrace that. Yes. And he does. And, and, and a lot of people now are actually saying, who's he going to find in the crowd to, to yell at? Because yeah. that fuels him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's true. It, it, look what he did in, I think it was, was it Paris? It was the tournament that he won uh, when he basically was egging the crowd on. Like, yeah, come at me, come in at Paris, me. In Paris, yeah, 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 yeah. in and, Paris. Like, and then he didn't, he lose, didn't a lose a point. He didn't lose a point. I was like, what is he doing? He's crazy. And then he didn't lose a point. I'm like, that's just him. He just needs that edge, that that edge that makes him just want to never miss a mm-hmm. ball. And that's what happens. And he's unbelievable. It's, it's incredible. He's unbelievable. And I will give you another theory. We talked about the theories I set up while going to sleep, I guess. And one of my theories is that athletes are driven by three things. Not all at the same time, but each athlete. And there are combinations, but each athlete is driven by some kind of thing. I feel like Roger Federer was driven by the love for the sport. He has that very Zen nature, right? He always he learned seemed, that because he was a maniac when he was a kid. Yes, but he, you know, he always loved the sport. You can feel that he yeah. just, you know, enjoys a little bit like the Anshaber. He needs to have the joy for tennis, right? That's why he hated playing Nova because he takes the joy out of yeah. the tennis, yeah. right? Yeah. He just grinds you down if he needs to, and then you have. For me, this is Iga Swiatek and Rafael Nadal. They are driven by anxiety. They are so scared to lose. They, Rafael Nadal has won 14 Grand Slam, Roland Garros's. He comes out in the first round of the French Open playing a lucky loser. And you can see in his face that he's scared to lose. Like every single person out there is like, Rafa, you might lose a game. You're not going to lose the match, but he thinks, he believes that he will lose, and that's what drives him because he's so intense because he's afraid that he's going to lose. And the third player, and I was a little bit like that, that's why I identify with Novak so much, is driven by revenge. He's like, you don't believe in me? Oh, I'm going to show you. And I think Serena was similar to that. I I think Serena and Novak have something very similar in their mentality. Yes. Because Serena and Venus were never believed in. They were always ostracized. They were always like, oh, these girls from Compton, they can't win anything or they are not going to make it. Well, I think Serena had it more than Venus because... Because she was also the smaller sister. And she was always in the... For a long time. In the beginning, yeah. Was very much not in the spotlight. Venus had all the spotlight on her and Serena was just the little sister and I think Serena had a bit of a chip on her shoulder because Venus was getting all the attention and was the older one and didn't no one was really looking at her and so I think that chip was that was born due to the fact that she was born second <laughs> in the family yeah you know it's kind of like Maggie Maleva had a yeah. little bit more of a chip on her shoulder the older sisters were not like that you talked about it you coach Karolina Pliskova yeah. who has a some said more talented sister the lefty Christina That's but right. Karolina turned out to be the better one because she said everyone believed more in Christina they thought she was going to be the better one she was lefty and it, absolutely and yeah. so Karolina had a chip and on her shoulder I think that is Novak's drive and I think he wasn't or he didn't want to embrace it because he thinks of himself as a better person because he is. I know him for such a long time. He's a great person. But I always said the quality of your 
human being is not the same as your tennis player persona. No. That's something you can be the biggest asshole as a tennis player. It has nothing to do with who you are off the court. Yeah. And I think he wants to believe in himself as being a good person. So that wouldn't go together. And I think now he's come to realize my tennis player persona is my tennis player persona. Yeah, and Novak is Novak. This has nothing to do with each other. So I think he's much more able to embrace that. I'm going to show you. I don't care. Everyone is against me. And one more thing I have to say about Novak and I think I tweeted it out once and I keep repeating it but I think the reason people have trouble or casual tennis fans have trouble giving him the respect that he re deserves is because he doesn't have a style of play like Roger yes. has or Rafa That's so has. True. Yeah. He is adaptable. That is his style of game, that he's adaptable. Just think about that US Open final. He played serve and volley yeah. every second or third point because mm -hmm. Medvedev is... 17 feet behind the baseline so he adapts he's a tactical genius and he has the skill to execute every single game plan that he makes up for himself and so he adapts to every player he will grind down a roger he will take the ball early against carlos alcaraz he will hit hard against rafa and he will beat them and i think because he has that he's like water right he flows through your fingers you try to grab him but you can because he's always different he's like a shapeshifter and i think that's why it's difficult for and casual he tennis he yeah but I think that's why it's difficult for casual tennis fans and this is really important to stress because I do think that the tennis fan the passionate tennis fan has gotten around to the fact that this is the greatest player of all time maybe the greatest athlete of all time but I think for the casual tennis fan who just watches the grand slams and the majors it's hard to grasp Novak because he plays so different every time and I think he's uh, uh, in art they would say he's an artist artist right where like all the artists respect him but the the commercial fan base is like oh what does he have that we don't you know yeah oh, i think that's really well put that's the first time someone's ever explained it like that and i think that's so true um Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, my on-court persona was not how I am off the court. Exactly. I mean, I mean you I was were the a perfect psycho. example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy, easy. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was very competitive, a little psycho. Some people, like even my friends would say to me, don't hit me today. I'm like, I'm not hitting you. I'll hit your feet, you know. Um, but yeah, and I was very different off the court um, in some ways, uh, but on the court. And anyone who didn't know me would be like, well, she's a bitch, you know, but then off the court, they're like, oh, you're just really nice. And I'm like, yeah, I'm very different off the court than I am on court. And I would absolutely say that about Novak. There's mm -hmm. no question about mm -hmm. it. Um, and I think that, yeah, he's embracing the fact that now he doesn't have to prove anything to anyone. True. There's no doubt in my mind that everyone now knows and has said enough with the greatest of all time, this guy's stats – they just r rule against everybody. Mm. I think he's going to play like this for another couple of years. Mm. He's taking care of his body so much. And I actually think him missing some of these tournaments because of the COVID situations actually helped, helped him. him. Yeah. Because it's allowed him to take time off, be around his family, spend some time with his kids, have a bit of normality, then go back and become that crazy, like, you know, obsessive, I'm going to win everything personality. And that's what he does better than anyone. Um, so what he did this year was just incredible i mm. mean i watched him play almost every one of those finals the grand slams and even the wimbledon final was incredible i mean what he has that swinging volley to probably go up two sets yeah. to love at wimbledon well and Different also situation. the two backhands and the tie break if he doesn't miss I them know. i think it was the first time he'd made errors in a tie break in like a year yeah 
was that match. Yeah. Um, but listen, he's just incredible. And you're right. He has adapted. He's coming into the net more. He does come into the net and serve and volley from time to time. Um, and I think it's incredible what he's done. And you're right. He doesn't have that distinct – although great players do that, right? Like even Nadal when he beat mm. Medvedev in the finals of the US Open that time, he was starting to serve and volley yeah, all the true. time. Yeah, true. Yeah, exactly. So great players like Nadal, like Novak, Roger, they do adapt to the people that mm. they're playing against. And that w- that's what makes them better players. And there's no doubt he's gotten better in every single aspect of his game. His serve is better. His forehand is better. His movement is as comparable as the best mover ever that we've ever seen. So, I mean, I don't know. No, he's just. I think we should embrace the fact that he's still around doing what he's doing, and these young bucks are nipping at his heels, and he's not not letting go of them, especially in five sets. So a phenomenal year for Novak Djokovic again. Three Grand Slams, finals of another ATP finals. I think his only regret would be the fact that he actually lost the last two matches of the year and against Sinner in singles and doubles, which will hurt. Which that would yeah. would have hurt him, as you know. He very much loves his country and representing it, and he probably wanted to finish that year because he said that if he wins the Davis Cup, it would be the best year of his career. Wow, that's yeah. something to say at 36 years old. And I am 36. I know how my body feels. I would not be able to do what he does. Do you think? Do you think that he can? I know we're not really getting into next year, yeah. but what do you think his chances are of winning Grand Slam and the Golden Grand Slam? Because you know, that in my opinion, it. it is going to be his absolute drive to win all four and the Golden Grand Slam because nobody's done that except Steffi Graf and it's Mm. still probably the greatest thing that's ever occurred in tennis is winning a Grand Slam, calendar Grand Slam and winning the gold medal in the same year. So I will say something that I would not have said if Novak wasn't 36. I think this depends entirely on how the uh, the younger guys are able to close the gap because I do think that age comes into play. Novak is not a mortal like we are. He's an immortal. He has a different type of body, a different type of mentality. He's just, as Nick Kyrgios would say, built different, um, except that Kyrgios uh, uses it for himself, but Novak is actually built different. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but I do think that age comes into play at one per at one moment. And as of now, the gap between Novak and the others uh, is big enough that he can get away with being a bit older. And I think it will be up to the young guys now in this off season whether or not they can close the gap if they can't or if they can just a little bit I think Novak has a shot I would never go out on a limb and say he will do it for sure because this is insane it's absolute insanity that Steffi Graf managed to do that I also think it's much harder in nowadays era because Steffi did have a few easy matches in the beginning of the majors, which is not possible anymore in that way. uh, And she won the the gold after she won the slam, the calendar grand slam. So I think it was a little bit emotionally, a little bit easier for her Mm. um, because once she, she won the calendar grand slam, it's like, oh, this is cherry on top. I do think that his fans have to be prepared for seeing him much less on tour. I think he will not play any tournaments anyway like i think he should do that yeah i think think so too i agree i think that he will be very very smart about his scheduling and that he will play as little as he needs to to be prepared for the big tournaments and to be prepared physically and mentally to do what he needs to do i do think that his main focus will be on the olympic games because that's the one thing he doesn't have yet Um, So I do think if he will have to choose, if he will have to make adjustments depending on how his body feels, he will make those 
adjustments in order to be at a peak at the Olympic Games. That's my prediction. I obviously don't know, but that's what I think. Uh, I agree. I agree 100%. It'll be interesting, isn't it? Because if he does do it, and we know that Nadal is planning on playing next year, and it's going to be at Roland Garros, it'll be interesting to see if they do play each other. And it's best of three sets, right, mm. for the Olympic Games. So that is a little bit different. And I think that is actually what hurt him mm. last Olympics when he was going for the calendar Grand Slam. Well, and a terrible he draw. He was so... He, Didn't he have Del Potro in the yeah. first round? Uh, no, 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 no. We're talking Tokyo. Oh. Del Potro wasn't oh, there. Oh, right, right. He lost his very. He lost his very. But um, I think that that court and the heat, and it was just not good for him. And I think he was exhausted after winning Wimbledon. And he knew that he was one Grand Slam away from winning the calendar Grand Slam. But he really wanted to play the Olympics because he wants that gold medal. And I think that fucked him up to winning the US Open because he was exhausted by the time he got to the final. I think he was mentally just fried and lost quite easily. Not easily, but for him easily mm-hmm. to, to Medvedev. But I think that I think that the best of three situation at the Olympics makes it even harder for him to actually do it. Because these guys like Zverev, Sina, Alcaraz, Runa, they can beat him over three sets. Mm. Because you can you can find lightning in a bottle for two sets. Yeah. It's really bloody hard to do, but you can do it. But mm. best of five that's really that's hard. like yeah. a whole nother mental fucking that's a whole nother mental uh, mountain to climb. It's just the most amazing thing to me is these matches were like at the US Open when he's down two sets to love against Laszlo Jere and Jere is playing so much better in those first two sets I go to sleep I turn off the TV and I'm like I know Novak is going to win this yeah he's like two six two six not winning like losing his serve twice a set and I go to say like yeah he's gonna win it (laughs) and And I wake up and it's like six two six two six one yeah (laughs) it's like I think the best thing to ever do when it comes to betting on tennis just wait for Novak to get down two sets to love at a grand slam and then then put your money on it because you know he's going to come back and win um and so and you might get hit you might get even money odds (laughs) <laughs> At we are uh, two sets to love. Yeah. Uh, we we thank our sponsor bet betandwin uh, dot com. Bet thank you win, very much. FanDuel, <laughs> uh, Pen, whatever it is that you uh, DraftKings, whatever. Well, but uh, Novak's biggest achievement was not only his incredible successes on the court, but also being part of rivalries which we love. And he was part of one particular amazing rivalry between him and Carlos Alcaraz, Ugh. that Cincinnati match. I mean, I know the Wimbledon final, but also the Cincinnati match. There were just a few matches, even the Paris final, like Carlos Carlos faltered physically against Novak and mentally, but the first two sets they played was incredible. Can you talk a little bit on how you view their rivalry and then also move into Carlos Alcaraz's season, a strange season, like with huge peaks, with like a next goat debate, and then a let off at the start in of the, the year. Yeah, and then a let off in the end of the season, the injury. So there was it was really everything in one bottle. He won six titles. He won Wimbledon. Uh, what did you make of his season? Yeah, I mean, listen, this kid is so special. He's so great for the game. Um, smiling out there. I mean, he just the joy he has on the tennis court is so great to see. But the joy is almost what hurts him in a lot of ways because he runs for too much. It's like he's jumping up and down. He's like, it's like, just... Yes. Losing too much energy, or what do you yeah, mean by that? Yeah, I think that? he expends a lot of energy. I think that's what hurt him in mm-hmm. Paris, um, where he started cramping, the anxiety, the, you know, he's just so up all the time. and uh, He's so hyper, he's right? He's so hyper, and he's going to learn to temper that a little bit, and I think he did at Wimbledon. There's no question about that. He managed to temper down the 
personality a little I bit? I think just, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but that uh, when he won the semifinals against Medvedev, I was like, oh, I think he really wants to win against Nova because he didn't celebrate. You know how oh, he yes. normally, he was it's kind so of funny like, you say that. he showed the fist and he waved into the crowd, but then he kind of just packed his back and left. And I'm, he. I tell you what, if anyone out there that does bet on tennis um, wants a little sort of thing to look at is when people go absolutely bonkers when they win a match in the semis or a quarter and they're like it's almost like that was their tournament right right where they're going that was just, the match you know they're going over to hug their coach and they're lying on the ground and they're like crying and i'm like whoa do you want to win the next match because that win should mean happiness but not you cannot you should not ever go over the top like with that sort of stuff. And I think when you see a player do that, that's done it before or done really well, and he'd won the same before, he knows what it ma takes to maintain and control the ups and the downs. And my coach used to say to me one time, and, I, and again, I'm not comparing myself to any of these guys, but, you know, when I won my – when I made my first semi final in doubles at Wimbledon, my coach said to me, okay, grubs. Not too high, not too low, got another match ahead of you. And he had been in that situation with many other players before. And so that was a little wisdom, wisdom that he passed to me is that, look, yeah, it's great to be in the semis, but do you want to win the tournament? And it said, you know, those are little things like I remember when Sam Stoza made her first semi final of the French Open and she was so excited. She wanted to go thank her friends and family for coming. And I was like, no, no, you're going to go ride the bike. You're going to stick to your routines and then you can go thank them later. But it's like when you haven't been there and it's almost like your tournament's over mm. so watch for a player when mm. they look like they mean business it's because they mean business mm. you know so there's not not always some people can get yeah, really excited you, can go off there are mm. other players on the other side of the you court who may Serena do the same thing losing right? her yeah. mind after winning a quarter or a semi yeah. she's just like yeah it does her twirl off yeah. the court because she's like all she wants to do is win the tournament now when yeah. she wins the tournament she's on the ground yeah. and crying and yeah. all this sort of stuff but you know that's a, a good mark for someone to look at to see if a player get so excited to win a final a semi-final that you're like uh they think their tournament's over mm. that's enough let's talk about carlos alcaraz's game right we know he has it all but we've seen him being rushed on that forehand side a bit especially with players like novak who can take that backhand down the line really quickly really early he has that um what Del Potro also had was which straight makes arm. it so but the straight arm right yep. so when somebody gets you there quickly and deep and flat into that side you can be a little late um what do you see for him he looks like a very complete player so what do you see for him to keep improving because the last part of the season we saw it after the US Open he was struggling with his game yep. not uh, yes mentally is of course uh, tennis is a holistic uh, experience of a sport everything feeds into each other the emotional side the spiritual side the uh, mental What's side and the game life? you don't know anything exactly yeah. you don't know that but also game wise we've there were a few players who had figured it, um, him out, right? We saw Medvedev at the US Open semifinals who really played a more aggressive style of game because he knew he had to. What do you make of his game? What do you think he can still improve and, and maybe adapt because it seems so complete? Yeah, I think you touched upon it already, the forehand. I think he needs to stay in it a little bit. I'd like to see him flatten it out sometimes as well. Uh, we know he has the power. Just look, there, there are times where he 
he goes for a shot that's probably not on. It's still the youth, I think, in his game. If you look at the way he plays now, um, there are so many things that he can get a little bit better at. Um, I think shot selection at times can be better, but that comes with age. That comes with experience. I think his serve can get better. Yeah, I think too. he can improve hitting it flatter. Look, he's not a big guy. so. But look, Novak, look at the way Novak played back when he was the same age. Mm-hmm. I mean, his forehand was dodgy. His serve was kind of shitty. Um, you know, wasn't quite sure if it was going to go in half the time. You can't say that with Alcaraz. All of those things are much better at that same age. And then look where Novak is now. You know, the greatest player of all time with literally no weaknesses. I mean, Mm. the guy doesn't miss. So I think Alcaraz will get to that point because he'll he'll realize that he doesn't need to go for that ball. He can stay in a rally a little bit longer. I think he can flatten the forehand out a little bit more. And I think overall he just just it just comes down to shot selection. Mm-hmm. And I think the forehand, like Novak's, like a lot of players. I mean, look how ad, ad, you know adaptive uh, Nadal got on a hard court mm-hmm. or a fast court. He stepped in a little bit, took taking balls earlier, um, serve and volleying sometimes, which Alcaraz does. I mean, his forward movement is fantastic. So I think I think it's just honestly, I think it's just shot selection mm-hmm. um, with him maturity. and maturity mm-hmm. and. Mm, knowing when to pull the trigger and when not to. Um, and I think overall, just that forehand, he'll get there. Mm. I have no – my biggest thing with him is the injuries. Right. That's what I'm concerned about um, because they're that groin injuries, like knee, like all that sort of lower body. And he's so athletic and throws himself around the court. So I think, if anything, he just needs to learn to taper down on that a little bit, mm. um, get the training right get the shot selection right and oof, we're going to see him around a long time well that's interesting that you say that because i uh, i knew a doctor who was um like the most famous and most important horse doctor for race horses and he said something to me and it made me just think of carlos alcaraz what you just said he said to me that race horses yes they are the maybe most athletic um natural being that we have in the world but they are so fickle because they are so athletic if they get an inflamed hoof right they have to be killed they have to kill them i mean it's it's true they just have to uh, put them down because they can't recover from that in a way because they are so no they can't recover from that too because they need all their legs yeah stand on <laughs> that's true uh, there's a vet listening to this going well that's not necessarily Yeah, well, I d- that's how I remember it. Maybe he was just uh, doing no, some they hyperbole, they, no, hyperbole. No, they can't. They can't. They can't just put a horse in a cast and say, "Hey, don't walk on this." Mm-hmm. No, horses can't understand you. Mm. So there's lots of reasons, but uh, but yeah, he's like a thoroughbred that needs to calm the fuck down. He mm. needs to go into the pastures for a mm. little bit. So, and I also think he needs to be a little bit more selective with his schedule. Mm. And you know, when you're young, you just think, "Oh, play, play, play." But I think he needs to get a little bit better with his schedule, which will allow him not to get injured a little bit more, I think, yeah. too. But he just physically puts everything into it. But our guy, who's now number three in the world. Yes. Let's talk about him. Daniel Medvedev. Five titles this year. Very interesting season. He had that stretch right before Indian Wells where he just seemed not able yeah, to lose. Yeah, I don't lose. know where he was. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like, this guy's out of, out of the top draw. And he lost early at the Australian Open, which was strange for him. He lost to a good player, Korda, I think. Yeah, he lost yes. to Sebastian Korda, yeah. which is, I mean, he was playing incredible at the beginning of the year. Sebastian got injured. Um, unfortunate that threw him off a little bit. But uh, So it's not like he had a terrible loss, but I think people expect him on the hard course to at least make the semis and finals. So what did you make of his season? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, Shame that he didn't do better at the slams. I think he'd be a little disappointed with that. There's no question. Um, but I think he sort of 
towards the end of the year, uh, we started to see why he's so good. He's just always there. You know what I mean? And he can beat anyone on any given day. Um, talk about embracing the, <laughs> the fuck you to the crowd and things like that. I mean, his flip off to the Parisian crowd was hilarious where he's like what I was just looking at my blisters on my hand you're like no dude we saw you flip the crowd off he he just he entertains me he loses his mind from time to time I mean his stuff at the ATP finals when he threw his racket and then he's like oh my god but he's entertaining and he's fun to watch talk about a different personality off the court Mm -hmm. too he's always so nice off the court and always so slow and um, but I, I just love Daniil. I love his his game is so different and unique, and he's so aware of the fact that he feels really blessed to be where he is, that he struggled early on in his career. And he's like, look, I know that I went through a lot early on and I didn't think I could be this good, and now look where I am. And so I just love him. But, you know, he played 22 tournaments this year. That's a lot. Mm, that's a lot, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, Alcaraz and Djokovic played 18 yeah, that's definitely a lot. What I what I love with Medvedev is two things. I think first of all is the thing that he really stands for something that I love about tennis that you can have your unique technique, style, yeah. unique style. It's like writers, they have their own type of prose, their Painters, own style. Yeah. Painter, you know when you see a Cy Twombly, you know it's Cy Twombly. When you n- see a Joan Jackson Mitchell. Pollock, yeah. you know it's Jackson Pollock. And uh, when you, you hear Bob Dylan, Joan Mitchell, because I, I, I like to pick the women. <laughs> yes. You clearly go for the men. <laughs> no surprise. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, but the, And I think that's what I love about tennis, that you can, we talked about three play, players now, and all of them have their unique kind of thing going on, and all of it is successful in its own way. So that's what I really like about him. And uh, one thing, one match I want to point out, I mentioned it before, semifinals, US, o- US Open against Carlos Alcaraz. He did do an adjustment to his game. That's just sometimes I feel like he relies too much on his defense and on being 20 feet behind the baseline. And that was the first time I saw him be like, no, dude, you cannot do that against Carlos yeah. Alcaraz. Yeah. You will be destroyed. Yeah. You need to be on the baseline. You need to return earlier and you need to make an adjustment. And he did and it was successful for him. And I hope he takes a lot of confidence from that, that he can do it and that he doesn't rely too much on his great court coverage and just great eye for the game, right? But he sometimes against these players, like a Yannick Sinner, like a Carlos Alcaraz, they Novak take it Djokovic, yes, you need to step up a bit. And that's what he did. Let's talk about the next guy, Yannick Sinner. He took it away from me, finally beat Medvedev because he recognized he had to be more aggressive. He had to take away sort of, you know, his ability to not miss a ball from the back of the court. And he's he's like, well, I'm not going to win the long ball rally, mm. but I'm going to win the rally because I'm more aggressive and coming into the net and being the a volleys, little bit... Because yeah. Medvedev, the one area that he could improve on is his volleys. Give me a call. Um, because he is a little bit like, 
a de- he's like a deer in headlights or a fish out of water uh, at the net. He's just like, what am I doing here? What the fuck? He like runs back half the time. I'm like, no, no, stay there. You're fine. He's like, no, I'm not. Uh, but that's an area that he could get better at, I think, to win against the Alcarazes and the Novaks going forward. I think he needs to improve his – because he doesn't miss from the back of the court. Imagine if he's hitting that flat, no high-bouncing approach shot and actually learning how to hit a volley. And you can do that. I think Novak's improved that immensely since working with Boris Becker, with Ivanovic. Uh, Ivanovic. <laughs> with Definitely Anna Ivanovic. not Ivanovic. Novak, you didn't Ivan, tell me Ivan, that. <laughs> Ivanisevic. I think because those guys used to come into the net a lot, they have transformed his net play. And I think they've made Novak a better player at the net of understanding because it's not about just volleying well. It's understanding when to come in, what to cover when you come in. That's something that Darren Cahill's absolutely helping Yannick Sinner with. You know, what do you approach on? what to look for when you approach a certain way. Like when you're a net rusher like I was, there there's only so many angles and you can pick them and figure them out. You can learn how to move at the net to draw a certain ball at the net, for example. You just don't run in and like, you know, it's like split step. It's like, yeah, split step, but also sell one side, open up another. There's lots of ways to get someone to get better at the net, and I think that's where he could improve a little bit. Call me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, but let's but talk yeah, about let's Yannick. Yannick Sinner, four titles this year, and just notably we talked about it in the last part, that great, great Davis Cup win, um, MVP. The only thing he did fall off a bit are the Grand Slams, yeah. the majors. Renee, can this Davis Cup win? Because it is a different kind of pressure. He did not only well under this pressure, he did tremendously well under that pressure. Can that help him in the coming? I know you will do a look into the 2024 season, but what do you think it will do to him having won that Davis Cup and just a great end of the of the season now? Well, hopefully it doesn't do what it did to FAA last year because he finished the year unbelievable, won the Davis Cup and then stunk it up this year. I don't know what happened to Felix. I, I mean, I have a... F- feeling I know what happened to Felix but with Yannick he's a different this is a different cat future world number one there's no question I think he will win a grand slam next year if he doesn't it'll definitely be in the next two years he's so good he has no weaknesses he's improved his net play his forehand is a lot more reliable he's taken away a bit of the waggle with the backswing Uh, his serve has improved immensely another thing that Darren has been working on is that you know his service motion getting it more reliable He's he moves unbelievable. He's got stronger. Ah, dude, for six foot, what is he four? Six four? He's quite tall, but he has. I think he just has these really long legs, which is hard to to run like that. He's six and two. He, he looks he taller is, than six two. He has become stronger. He has become more powerful. Dude, he was a like world ch- like not a world champion, but an Italian champion skier. And when you're a good skier. Your legs are fucking strong, okay? If you ever go and see a gym workout of a skier, most of their stuff is, you know, they're they're piling on weights on their, uh, to do clean and jerks and squats and, you know, pushing the fucking legs thingy and they're doing these bouncing things up and down and down with the legs. All they're doing is crushing their legs every day. And so this guy grew up doing that. He doesn't look like it. 
His legs are like skinny in the mind. But it's like, well, maybe not. But listen, this kid can move. He stays down on his shots. And I think the one thing that he did not do well in the finals of the ATP final against Novak is you could tell he was really nervous, but he was coming out of his shots. So if you go and replay his matches, the shots he was missing, he wasn't missing earlier in the tournament because he was staying in with his legs. Now, was he tired? Probably. Was it physical for him? Probably. Was he nervous? Absolutely. And when you get nervous, what do you do? You come out of your shots with your legs because you start trying to use your hands because you're nervous. So I think the thing that he did better in the Davis Cup match against Novak was that he was loading the legs like crazy because he was rested more, mm. right? He played a lot, singles and doubles, but he had days off in between, whereas ATP, he was playing every day, or almost every day, but it was so intense. So I just think he is such a good player. He's improved every aspect of his game. His his composure on court is amazing. I mean, when he won the match, too, at the Davis Cup, he was just like... Well, we heard it, Rene. You called him future number one in the world and uh, possible 2024 Grand Slam champion Yannick Sinner. This year, great um, great win in Toronto, we should have mentioned, maybe his first 1,000 title. Let's move on to the Jesper Gula of the ATP Tour, yeah. as I like to call him. Poor Andrei Rublev, the quarterfinal king in the Grand Slams. He's so solid. He's so good. He's won two titles this year. He's just missing that extra little... It's like He's the best cupcake in the world, but they forgot to put the frosting on. <laughs> All the you know sprinkles. what I mean? The sprinkles, the sprinkles yes, because the fr cause he has... Yes, he has frosting. Yes, he has his, frosting, his, just the sprinkles. Especially when you think about his hair. Or but do you think it's just that the other guys are that much better and it has nothing to do with him? Because I do love watching him play. I do think he's absolutely tremendous if you ever have the chance to watch him in practice oh my god it's awesome please do that because i've learned so much from andrei rublev the way he accelerates just before he hits the ball especially on the forehand it's a beauty to watch and i just i i really love him i love his personality i love his game too there's just those sprinkles missing what, what is it what are the sprinkles i tell you Renee? what the upset of the year is though two players inside the top 10 with red hair <laughs> red curly hair Four they could five, be brothers they could, they could be brothers. Uh, I think the problem with Rublev is the mentality and he's very one dimensional so when he's good he's so good and he's ripping balls all over the place and he's clean whacking people off the court the problem is he hits the ball too flat all the time now you can say well Medvedev does too Medvedev's a miss I mean Medvedev literally doesn't miss and he's a lot more cautious than Rublev is And I think that Medvedev has an underrated serve. But I also think that uh, Medvedev is just methodical. He just picks you apart, waits, which is why he always beats Rublev because he hits the ball similar to Rublev, just doesn't miss. Whereas Rublev gives you a little bit of miss, but he's crazy. I mean, he's nuts. He loses a point. He could be up a set and it could be three all in the second. He loses one point at like 30 all and he fucking goes crazy. He starts yelling at his people. It's like, mate, listen – And listen, those that lived in glass houses, <laughs> I mean, I was a little crazy on the court. But it's like at some point you're like, that's hurting you. So I think he got a lot better at it this year. But I think that's where he needs to improve. And he's a little bit too one-dimensional. Um, and so I think against the Alcarazes and Yannick Sinners and Medvedevs and Novaks is that they just wait for him to implode or they sort of just figure him out that he's going to make an error at some point. Um, and so that's what they take advantage of. Having said that, what a great year. Um, so I'm super happy. I love the guy. I love watching him play. He's a lot of fun. Please, God. Who's going to – okay, so give me your guess. Who's going to make a semifinal first, Pagula or Rublev? Rublev. Oh, okay. I think that he – I say Pagula. 
Okay, nice. We're, I like, sh- I like we're both. shaking on that. I, I like both. Um, I think that um, Rublev, I just looked at his results. He was also a bit unlucky in those quarters. He tends to end up against Novak. I think he lost twice. Either or three Novak times. or Medvedev. Exactly. So, that, you know, if he got somebody that... I mean, we we see it. There are people in the court. He could have gotten a Ben Shelton. He could have gotten a Tommy Paul. It's not like you always need to play Novak yeah. or yeah. Carlos or in yeah. the quarters. You can be a bit lucky, um, but uh, but he hasn't been lucky. So I think that um, I think his quality of play is there. It's just I think the others that we just talked about are just a bit ahead of him. I think he needs a um, actually agreeing with you. I think he needs to open up angles more because he tends to hit through the court a lot. So if you have good movers who tend to Hence make the, the balls he never beats over Medvedev. and over. Yeah. Because he's literally hitting the ball so hard and yes. Medvedev's 20 feet behind the ball. And he needs to get to the net. I think in the and in the in the men's you can't... To beat the best of the men... In women, you can get away with it. But I think to beat the best on the ATP side, you need to be able to finish at the net because a Medvedev, even a Carlos Alcaraz, they will just run you down until you miss. And you will not maybe miss at 6-3, 3-all, but you will miss at 5-all. And then it sits in your head and it grows and it pesters like a virus. And you know what happens when we have viruses, then we get vaccines and some people don't want to get, get the vaccine and then we're all right. in a, we're in all a mess and we're all in a pickle and we don't want that. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to a very strange uh, season, Renata. On number six... Steph Tsitsipas. Paula Badosa's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Paula Badosa's boyfriend, well, Stefano Tsitsipas. His year was better than hers. Yeah, Paula unfortunately injured. Hopefully she can bounce back. Um, had the stress fracture in a lower back. So hopefully she can be healthy because I love watching her play. He has one title this year and he has played the final at the Australian Open. Lost to Novak there. What did you make of his season? It was a strange one. He played 24 tournaments. And Rublev played 25 tournaments. Holy yeah, so shit, they they're playing a, a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, pass. he's just, you know, look, the bottom line is great serve, great forehand, backhand is attackable. So anytime you play against these great players in the semis, finals, they're going to find a way to beat you because they're going to play that backhand. You're not going to be able to hurt them. So just like Maria Sakari, I don't know if it's a Greek thing, but he's got to get his backhand better and he's got to get his slice backhand better because mm-hmm. his slice backhand is so shit and I'm talking about on the level it needs to be to do well and he needs the slice back end because it's going to set up the forehand so his slice back end is so bad he comes out of it with his left leg I don't know why someone hasn't like helped him with that shot but the bottom line is he needs to improve his slice back end because his toppy is okay when he has time but when someone attacks it he needs to be able to play a better slice you mean to slow the game down in a way so he can use his forehand again to slow it down but to put it in a position i.e. down the line like Roger used to, to be able to slice your backhand down the line. And so when someone runs over there when the ball's a foot off the ground, it's really hard to go back down the line. So they right? go cross forward, so it's to his forehand. Bang. You know, so he needs to improve that side of his game. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't, he's going to be a good player for the rest of his career. And he's never going to win a Grand Slam. And I've said this for... I didn't even know. You don't know. think he's going to win a Grand Slam? No, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't think he's going to win a Grand Slam with his dad coaching him. Okay. And I know he had that little run with Philippoussis this year and whatever, but he needs to just literally redo his entire team mm-hmm. and tell his dad and mom to stay home. And it's nothing to do with the fact that I don't think his dad can coach or is, is a good coach, but he's not your coach that you're going to win a Grand Slam because he's so volatile, so toxic, 
the relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, off the court, they could be best friends. But you know this, Petco. You ha- your dad was a tennis coach. Mm. It's fucking too hard. If you have a very volatile relationship on the tennis court, at some point it becomes – it's not a positive thing under serious duress. And mm. that's what semis and finals of Grand Slams are. Do you think Stefanos Tsitsipas has stagnated in his yes. play? Yes. I think he has stagnated, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that his dad is still his coach, and he can't fu- just go away with somebody else to say, here are, here are your issues. Someone like a Darren Cahill will be like, well, I'm going to break you down your slice, I'm going to help you with this, I'm going to help you tactically, and you'll be a better player because of that. But his dad is – he's hit the plateau with his dad. That's mm. how I feel. Anyway, let's move on from uh, – Let's move on. I just want to shout out one thing that I think he does – maybe with Carlos Alcaraz the best in the top 10 and I just wanted to shout it out because we don't see it that much often anymore hits his transfer when he gets a short ball how quickly he gets up to it and moves through it and ends at the net very naturally is really a beauty to watch and I love to watch him when he's playing well whenever you drop a ball short he's up there he's there he takes it on the rise and he's at the net and he's always in the right place and we don't see that that much anymore so and I never knew how to do it that's why I think I just love to watch it in that way so I just wanted to shout out that uh, thing that I think he does maybe the best in the top ten. Well, which is why his slice can help him. Because if he slices really well, just like Roger, where he manipulate the slice, hit it short, hit it deep, just like Alcaraz does from time to time, most of the time they go to your forehand after that. They'll try and go to his backhand, but you know that. So when mm. you're a heavy forehand player like an Ash Barty, you know when they're going to go back to your backhand. You can step around, hit an inside-out forehand, boom. Mm. Points over. So anyway, uh, Renee, do we uh, have to talk about the numbers? Okay, so number seven so. is Alexander Zverev. I think the way I want to handle it, let's just stay stick strictly with the tennis. Let's not talk about anything else because I think uh, enough has been said about that. Alexander Zverev, um, he has won two titles this year. He won in Hamburg in his hometown. He, uh, it has to be said, uh, he had a tremendous comeback on the tennis court because uh, thinking of the beginning of the year, he was nowhere near his best. Had this do you know how many tournaments? he played take a guess i would say 28 close 27 Mm. what the fuck well he's coming back from injury that's true he always likes to play a lot anyways um but uh are you watching him can you still watch him what do you make of his game i was there i'm a tournament ambassador at the hamburg tournament so i watched his um, his tennis there and I think he's played the best I've ever seen him play there especially yeah. in the final against Laszlo Gere so I do think he's back to him, uh, his old self maybe even better he has a new fitness coach by his side a Croatian guy who is really really good he used to be with Milos Raonic I'm sorry I'm blanking on the name but um, yeah just give us your thoughts you're let's just it, I have no chance <laughs> just uh, let's try and stick to the tennis facts with, uh, with Zverev and just give us your thoughts on, on his game <sighs> do i have to okay you don't have to you can no, just listen, say his two tennis, sentences there's no question his tennis has improved like outrageously um this year he's coming back from that injury there's no question he had to find his feet no pun and his legs um but overall i think look he's hitting the ball great and he's always going to be a threat uh, he serve he's not double folding 20 times a match anymore so he's kind of curtailed that a little bit and i think that's helped him but again you know it's just he will be a threat next year. There's no question at, at, at uh, Grand Slam play. And the reason I actually be a think he can win Roland Garros at one point. I don't know if next year, but I think that he will have sure. a shot there. Well, he thought he could win it when he twisted his ankle against uh, Well, he moves Nadal. the best on clay Nadal. for his, his size. Yeah. Um, he 
has a great serve and the weird forehand that he has that spinny forehand that goes out into the angle yeah. it's really um Good discomfortable on, on on for to play on clay because it like sits up yeah. it has a lot of rotation but not a lot of power and yeah. so you really have to generate, generate your own stuff. and it's not easy to handle and i've seen it over and over again on clay the guys don't really know what to do it because it lands quite short in the court but it goes out so you don't have an angle to actually attack it because you're out of place he moves well if you go down the line he has the best shot in the world his running backhand is insane oh my god he's back is so good so i think that strange forehand that hurts him on the hard courts and can hurt him when it gets tight and it gets really short on clay is actually kind of a weapon not a weapon let's not go that far it's but like it's, it's very like weird to play coco's ba- forehand on clay because she can just hit that toppy down the line and then you go to her backhand just like zverev and then he just goes thanks i've control of the point now um but look you know all the stuff that's happening off the court he's gonna have to deal with that too all right let's get to number eight holger rune yeah what do you what make a strange of him? year too for him so um, he played 23 tournaments in the year, which um, the men are quite. Uh, yeah. They like to play tournaments. Yeah. What is up with that? I don't do know. Do they get good appearance fees? Uh, clearly, <laughs> they do. But look, Holger Rune. I think what was good for him is that he had a struggle, struggle town uh, on the hard courts. Um, he played pretty well at the Grand Slams, quite well, yeah. for, especially for someone young. But um, I think Except the for the U.S. Open yeah. where he lost first round. Uh, well, that the was famous, well, that's what I'm saying. They put me on a court where nobody can watch and then I was there. That. I if he had won match. that match, that would have been cool. But losing that match is kind of awkward when you tweet that out. Can you tell us what happened? Exactly? Well, that's the thing. When I read it, I was like, oh, dude, he's going to lose this match because he's already like saying how pissed he is at being. I mean, I, I will say But this. apart from that, he has had a good um, very, Grand Slam run, like a decent good. Grand Slam run. I will say this about that. When I did see that schedule, I did think it was kind of shitty as well. Yeah, we all okay. know those courts there. Oh, I like that because I think that we always, when players, not always, we sometimes, when players Complain. voice their grievances, we tend to be like, ah, oh, you're privileged, fuck, how can you have any complaints? But I like that you say, when you looked at it, you also thought it was strange. No, no, I, I thought it was a slap in his face. I think okay. he was four in the world. Mm-hmm. I think he was number four seed playing on court five. Like, we know those courts. Mm. Those courts are really hectic. There's a match going on next to you. There's yeah. a match going on next to you there. It's a row of four. It's so for those who haven't been at the US Open, it's a row of four or three yeah, courts. Yeah, like, you don't even know if your court's the one getting called yes. out. You're yeah, like, that's was that true. That's court? true. They are stacked next to each other. And I watched Isla's first match back yeah. after her injury, Isla Tomjanovic's. And she was playing in the middle. In the middle, and next to her was playing Jenny Brady, and I kept thinking they called balls out, which was on the court next yeah. door. So I do have to say, it's it's a well, and, and yeah. also, mate, it's like you could, there's no public out there. I mean, yes, that, they, those courts get packed, yes, because they're small and they're all next to each other. Yeah. It's a great place to go and see it. If you, For fans, it's, it's the, the coolest. It's yes, the best. if you sit up. On the stands, but you can watch three matches at the same time. There is literally maybe a thousand, no, not even five hundred people watching him play. Come on, he's the fourth player in the world. He's having a great year. Fucking come on, put him on court seven. Put him on the court you played your last match. Like yeah. that's a big stand at least. Like mm. really, court five. Anyway, so I appreciate bes- you saying that. Besides actually, besides that, I think the best movie made was getting rid of certain coaches. And bringing on Patrick Moritaglu. I think. Sorry, I'm, sorry, sorry. Calm, calm down. Okay. Sorry. I meant getting rid of Patrick Moritaglu and bringing on that's Boris Becker. That's a Freudian slip. Oh, that is a Freudian slip. I didn't know you Listen, felt that way. Caitlin, if you're listening we, to are this. Are you coming? Are you starting a comeback with Patrick Moritaglu? Edit that out. 
Okay. No, um, Boris Becker, I think that was a great move from him. Look, Boris has been in jail. He's been through some tough times. He's also a former great... All the Germans with the controversies. Yeah, what's up with that? What what have you done lately? Um, But, you know, the fact that, look, Boris has achieved what he achieved at such a young age as well. So he's been, he's sort of lived this life that Mm -hmm. Rune's living, but even more so because if anyone saw the documentary, whoa, there's things that he had to go through as an 18-year-old. But... I think Boris has lived such a life. He's been around. He's achieved so much himself. He was terrific for Novak. Um, And Novak will tell you that, you know, he was great. And I think that he's that type of personality. And you know Boris. Mm. He's just – he's not into hyperbole and he's going to tell Runa to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Stop complaining. He's a very – I know Boris very well and he's a very strong personality in a sense. He's a very – if that's still possible – But he's emotional. Yeah, but if that's still possible, he's – the best possible alpha male, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like that's nowadays, that's kind of an insult, but I mean it in a good way in this case. Yeah. He's very sure of himself. He knows who he is. He likes who he is. He has a lot of confidence, a lot of inner confidence. And I think it might have been shaken by everything that has happened, but he, and he doesn't need the job in that way, yeah. right? Because he Although knows... He wouldn't mind a little money. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is really complicated, but I think that's why he also handled being with Nova so well for so long same as Goran Ivanishevich because you have to be a strong personality to handle these really um, ambitious guys who know what they want and are just like pit bulls when they want something they don't let go if you have a coach that you can tread all over you lose respect you don't respect what they're saying to you You've got to have that ability as a coach, no matter who you're coaching, to be able to step up and say, I think this is the best thing for you. And never doubt what you're saying to your player. And mm. Boris is that going to be that person for Runa? And it's already he's already improved under him. Yeah, he you has. can tell he's controlling himself better on the court. He's becoming less controversial. He's sort of doing the right thing. And I think Boris is going to be a great influence for Runa. I think Runa is going to have a really big year next year. Just like Sviantek in a lot of ways, I think he learned a lot about himself mm. this year. about how The to deal famous with. sophomore slump maybe in a way. Well, in some respects, but also, I mean, look, Iga is clearly way more accomplished. But I think just learning to deal with adversity as a young player, learning from it and becoming better. And I think he did that this mm-hmm. year. I think he's finished the year. He pushes Novak every time he plays. He has tremendous respect for Novak. I think Novak is certainly somebody he looks up to. Um, I think that he would have learned a lot from it this year. And I think that he, you know, and I think he's matured a little bit over the last couple of months. I think actually him playing like shit for a little while has actually kind of humbled, humbled him, him somewhat. And I think that he got back to really doing what's important. And look, I'm famous for saying or infamous for saying, he has a punchable face. Okay, there <laughs> were times on court that. that I said that he has a bit of a punchable face. I, mean, I said listen. it in jest, but I, I actually have to say, I think he's improved a lot on the court, and I kind of like him now. I think he's, he's turned a little bit of a corner, and I think he's going to have a great year next year. So I, let's get to the nicest yes. player on Well, tour. I have to say one thing one about Holger Rune. I always liked him because I love the rebels on court. I love when they, you know, are kind of street fighters. I will say he has to figure out what is going on with his body because he is losing substance in the third set we're on the ATP tour you need to be able to sustain five set matches have a day rest 
and come back and play again if yeah. you want to win a slam. Especially and he when he needs young. to figure Doesn't out. He has he's cramping, and I know genetically some people are just prone to cramping more than others. But he needs to have a good medical team in place and figure out what the hell is going on with his body because that needs to become better. I think his tennis is tremendous. I love watching him play. And you're right, Hubie Hurkacz, two titles, and I don't have. A, a lot to say about him except that I like him. Oh my god, I love him. He's literally other than Yannick Sinner could be as far as top 10 are concerned. Just my favorite person and player. There's there's one indelible moment to me when he walked out to the crowd at Washington DC last year, not this year, last year. He was the top seed I think or two seed and um it was like 12 o'clock in the middle of the day and you have played in Washington DC where it's literally 105 degrees in the middle of the day nobody is there watching the tennis mm, on center so court because it's so hot they it gets packed it's sold out every so I don't want to diss on DC because it's literally one of the best tournaments of the year but you know people have a tendency not to come watch those first early matches right because people have jobs as well um there was like five people in the crowd and he walks out and he literally smiles and waves as he's walking out there and I'm just like oh, I fucking love this he guy he smiled and waved at single every single person was that was so there classic. at the five people that you know, were there i just he's just got that he's like he reminds me of a five-year-old in a in a 25 year old man's very tall body you know he just has those like mm. pigeon-toed walk and he just battles he comes in i just love him oh, we Do don't have a lot to see say. him progressing in his tennis play i see him being this player forever okay. winning a, a, a tier of a masters 1000 every now and again uh getting to semis of a slam he certainly can winning one i don't think he can win one um but i i see him doing very well for his career i Mm. I think him being a perennial top 10 top 20 player for his entire career because he loves the sport um and he works really hard and he he doesn't have a lot of weaknesses Mm. um it's just that i think the other guys are just a little bit better under pressure from Mm. time to time he gets a little bit chokes yeah gets a bit choky but i love him and is there a guy that plays more fucking three set matches or wins more matches in tie breaks well, that's the interesting thing because he chokes when he's up and yeah. then he plays okay in the tie breaks, yeah. which is like, bro, it's easier to play when you're up 5-2 yeah. than when you're 5 all in the third set tie break. No, like, he just, I don't know, but I love choice. him. He's my favorite player <laughs> I like him too. I like him too. Um, let's go on to the last Taylor player Fritz. in the top 10. It's Taylor Fritz. He also had two titles. Uh, interesting season. He needs to figure out his Grand Slam performances, Rene, doesn't he? Well, the thing is, and I've said this over and over about him, um, Taylor played 26 tournaments this year, which is a lot. But a lot of that had to do with him trying to make the ATP finals as well at the end of the year. But I think the problem for... I do. Let's talk about this. Make your point and then we'll talk about this uh, after I have a question about I, that. I think the thing with Taylor is the reason he doesn't do well at slams. And listen, this is a guy that did well at Wimbledon, lost that tr- a really tough match against Nadal a couple of years ago. But I think the problem with Taylor is that he loses his shit like Rublev from time to time. He's complaining to his box all the time. And I like Taylor a lot. Like, I actually like him. Um, he's talks really well when you interview him he understands the game he's nice guy off the court he treats people well but fuck on the court like yelling and every point like looking at his box like putting his hands up and complaining it's like dude if you want to do well at grand slams you have to learn to calm the farm and shut your mouth when it comes to playing best of five because all the emotion that you're giving out negatively all the time is going to come back to bite you when it really counts. There's a reason why Novak, you know, Novak can do it from time to time, but he's been doing it and he's won 20, how many Grand Slams? Like, let that guy, that guy can do whatever he wants. He knows how to win. You need to stop emoting negativity when you are playing tennis. Mm -hmm. 
and it starts on the practice court, then you take it onto the matches, and that would be the first thing that I would say to him. I want you from day one at your first match at every Grand Slam, I don't want to see a negative reaction from you. Mm. And let's see how you do, and if you don't do well, you can do whatever the fuck you want every mm. single match going forward. But as a coach, I'd be like, if you gesture to me something negative at five all in the first set when you just lost one point, you know, you missed a forehand by uh, half an inch and you gesture anything to me like, oh, it's missed by... Th- I'm li- I'm leaving. Yeah. So you've got to be tough like that as a coach. Mm. And he has... Mike Russell's done a great job with him, but ooh, it's like, man, that's the biggest issue for him. And this is somebody who's in the top 10 in the world. And I give him great credit because he does... He's, you know, had a great year. But, man, that's the one thing, that's the one knock on him at Grand Slams. That's what needs to get better for him to get to a final of Grand Slam. Yeah, I think he also needs to work on his first serve a bit and second serve. Both serves, like, when it's good, it's good, but he sometimes loses timing on it. He throws it up very high, so when he loses the timing, he tends not to make first serves in important games. So there are a few things in his game as well that I think that he can get better, um, apart from the emotions. I will uh, ask one question that I was very surprised surprised about his because we talked about it a few times today how important scheduling is uh, and how it's part of uh, being a tennis professional and being one of the best 10 players in the world he scheduled to play all the tournaments on the u.s open series to go into the u.s open my thinking is if you're a top eight player as an american he ended up in the top 10 but he was in the top eight uh, coming into the u.s open when you're a top eight player in the u.s at the u.s open as an american you want to win yeah you might not you might lose even lose first round but you have to plan for this grand slam for this major as if you are going to win. Can yeah. you win a major that lasts two weeks where you play in the worst heat, the worst humidity against the best players in the world in the jungle that is New York City with playing five tournaments in a row before that? I don't think you can. He played five tournaments? I don't know. If I, he played t- Atlanta. He played Washington, D.C. He played Toronto. He played Cincinnati. And I think he was scheduled to play Winston-Salem. And then he pulled out. So he was scheduled to play five. And he played four. That's so dumb. Well, you know, Cincinnati and Canada are mandatory. Right. So he has to play Atlanta and Washington. Yeah. So he won Atlanta. He played Washington. So I'm sure he got paid to go to Washington. But yeah, you're right. But do you want to win a major or do you want to get paid to play in Washington is the question I have. Yeah, well, you're making the you're you're telling me what he needs to do. And I'm not true. telling you what he needs to do. No, every I think player, that's. I agree with every you. Play, it's the what I want to say by that is not. I'm not faulting or judging Taylor Fritz. He can. He's an adult man. He can do whatever he wants, and he has a great career, has a great life. He's earning great money, and I will say he is one of the most competitive guys. I love his attitude. He has worked when so he's hard, his shit. right? But he it never gives up. He has no ego. He always fights. Like I have tremendous amount of respect. The thing what I'm asking by that is not a, is not a part of a judgment it's a glimpse into his mentality does he actually believe that he can win the US Open because if he did maybe he would have scheduled differently I yeah. don't know I'm just asking this is a question I'm genuinely asking maybe well, you have the answer to I, that I think that him going to Atlanta was okay because he lost early terribly at Wimbledon where he lost to Michael Emer in the second round so he had a lot of a lot of time so he went and won Atlanta which is great then the, the thing that he should have done then is not play Washington. Although, you know, he, he probably thinks, all right, I'm getting my confidence back. Maybe if I win Washington, he lost to Greek Spore in the semifinals, 6-2 in the third. So maybe if he wins Washington, then he goes into those tournaments. Maybe he pulls out of Canada. I don't know. Or maybe, we, but, you but then just he loses said it, second Washington, round. Washington, D.C. is the worst tournament to play of the year. 
conditions wise it's the hottest most he, humid he would have played a lot of match. he lost at night though i think because he was one of the draws you still lose a lot of substance there you sweat True. so much it's not easy to recover from that tournament so he lost in the semis to greeks boy he lost in the round of 16 then in canada to alex de Menor, and then he lost to novak in the quarters in cincy and then he didn't play to the u.s open but you're right that's that's actually figuring it out and then he actually played really well at the u.s open he didn't lose a set so everyone was like oh this is the time yeah and then he got crushed by novak in three mm. sets so he has to figure out that but that's what i'm saying for me it's his emotional ups and downs and i would like to actually go back and look at the matches that he played against those players that he won every match in three sets in straight sets yeah how emotional was he throughout that like because so that, those are little things that i would look at as a coach um for him and then where, where does novak pick him apart or oh, i mean other than everywhere. So anyway, <laughs> so let's get to who we think um, yes, uh, so surprises. Yes, so players that were either surprises or that were memorable to you. And um, I have a few on my list. What what comes to your mind when you think of players outside of the top 10 that somehow grasped your attention in one way or another? Well, listen, we have to talk about Ben Shelton. Um, and a lot of, Very people, exciting have, a lot of people have asked me, you know, who's the American that's going to win a slam if they do. And I, I do think that Ben Shelton is... Uh, that player i think why because he has the weapons mm. he has huge serve he uh his forehand's huge and the thing that he's gotten really good at and much better at that he did it even at the start of the year we had a great australian open is his backhand has got more reliable because mm. his backhand at the australian open was i was dirty. like oh god it's so bad i mean it was so bad but you know look at sam stoza sam's backhand was not great but she started to not miss it mm. when she was playing at her best mm. and then her forehand her serve was so dominant yeah that that's and why she, she had that little when she was playing her best, she had that little backhand down the line pass. Because yeah. you would know that normally if you attack her on the backhand, you would get an opening. But that when she was playing well, she really played it so flat and sh almost short into the court. And if you don't have great volleys, which mo most women don't, uh, it was really hard it's to... It's called a nice little slice short. Or she would smack the backhand down the line. Yeah. And a lot of women didn't cover that shot enough. So with, with Ben, I think he's improved his backhand so much, he's not making a lot of errors on it. And then everywhere else is so good. And mm. he hits the shit out of the ball. And he's really a specimen physically. And, and I tell you what. He has the most explosive muscles I've seen in a long and time. And he's cocky, which is important. Yes, attitude. But also the thing that I think he got better at even at the end of the year, because you know, he had that great Australian Open. Played very average after that. Mm. Couldn't win two matches in a row. His average then he wins uh, uh, US Open. A euphemism for bad. Yeah. Because <laughs> he didn't win a match. Yeah. Uh, but no, he didn't win two matches in a row. And then he had a great US Open. But the thing that impressed me the most was his end of the year, how well he played in China. Mm. And the thing that, talking about, remember we were talking about how people get super excited when they win a match. You know, and he had the phone thing that, mm. you know, put the phone down. He stopped doing that after a while. And I think he started to learn that, you know what, this is about me winning. Mm. And getting respect and he won his first ATP title. And I think that what I saw from Ben was no mistakes on the back end, huge weapons, but his mentality was very good. Mm. Like he'd win matches against really good players in quarters and semis and he would just be like, yep, shake hands yeah. and walk off. I, I like that because he kept the cockiness in a way inside him as an energy that he can channel to yep. actually put the phone down, not uh, physically doing it, but just like actually put the phone down, meaning winning matches. Yeah. And I think you're right. He really channeled uh, that cockiness into a uh, positive energy that he used to play. So kudos really to him great. and all the American guys who are pushing each other. And it's about time they've caught up to yes. the women. And I think you will talk about that because I had it as a talking point. I was like, oh, I think that should be something for you and Caitlin when you look towards the 2024 season, because I think that's going to be really interesting. Who is going to end up US's number 
one on the men's yeah, side. You mentioned so it many. earlier. There are five in the top 25. Yeah. And it's really incredible to witness. Um, uh, who else did you... Did you? So I'm That's just going to throw in... Uh, okay, so I'm going to throw in two. I'm going to throw in... And we don't have to talk about them for a long time. I just want to throw them in. Matteo Arnaldi, who beat... Uh, we talked about it. Who beat the Alex Australian, Popperin. Alex Popperin. Uh, I just love his game. I love how he plays. He hits so hard and he's so skinny. I'm like, where is this energy Look coming from? Where is the power coming from? All these skinny, dainty little Italians. I love them. And I have to give a big shout out to Grigor Dimitrov because yeah. I think he really had a tremendous comeback. I'm, it's bad in a yeah, yeah. podcast to do. COVID. Well, but it's bad in a podcast to do signals with your hands, air quotes. So I'm doing air quotes. Come back because he was around, but he was struggling. And this year, I think he really found his form again, played some great matches. And uh, as we know, always a guy for the highlight reels. And I really enjoyed um, seeing him back at his best. But uh, he had long COVID. He had long COVID. I spoke to him quite a lot at the start of the year. And he just said, look, I struggled so much. Like I couldn't because he got COVID a couple of times. And he's like, I couldn't do the physical work in the gym. And we know how important his legs yeah. are. And how quick he is around the court so it was really nice to see him and and I did when I, I remember when I saw him in Washington this year or maybe it was at Wimbledon I hadn't seen him for a couple of months and I went oh my god you look so much stronger physically like his chest was a little bit bigger he was just stronger and you could tell um, and so he needs that to do better and so hopefully he can have another really good year next year and keep keep the momentum going he just doesn't quite have it against the top guys um, you know like Novak and when they're on but but certainly push push them all uh, yeah. this year so it was really nice to see any tournament or competition that stood out to you oh. on the ATP side in any formal way I mean listen I just I loved to see um, I loved to see Novak do what he did again this year it was unbelievable um, just to do it at his age and just embrace the well, like you said embrace that side of him the villain the era, villain era. um but i loved loved the final at wimbledon and mm. you know the final it was i was there live watching it and it was just fuck the mm. atmosphere and the tennis was just unbelievable yeah. it was so great but just overall yannick sinner's rise to the top at the end and what he did and um yeah it's just the top 10 guys the top three or four guys are so good you mentioned that you didn't think that the depth was there and the men's game as much as the women's but look overall the men's was a, a, an entertaining year in the fact that Novak won everything again <laughs> just kidding uh, and well, so we'll see well, we'll see how much say, you know in soccer they used to say about the German team they're in soccer 11 men play against 11 men and Germany wins in the end and it feels like that on the ATP tour for the yeah. last year like everyone is fighting for the title and in the end Novak wins yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, but I have it was to say, year. I have to say, it was a really exciting year. I think the uh, just the yes, Novak dominated, but just the glimpse of a future where there are young guys who can challenge him and who are setting up for interesting rivalries to come was very exciting. And I think that's why a lot of people jumped on that Carlos Alcaraz and, and Yannick and Sinner train. You have train. to admit, Roger and and Rafa made Novak the player he is oh, now. 100%. He had to be. They to, all made each other into all the them. players. And yeah. I would say, arguably, that the Runas, the Alcarezes, and the Sinners in particular, and the Rublev from time to time, they are making Novak even better mm. because they are as quick as him. 
They have, I mean, the variety that Alcaraz has has made Novak anticipate hitting drop shots and coming to the net and all that sort of stuff. The power that Sinner has, Novak has to flatten out the forehand. Yeah. He has to come into that. He all the things. much more aggressive in that ATP fi- and he can in the play final. any yeah. surface, Novak. So, I don't know. I just, I'm loving it. These guys are catching up. They're still not there yet, as he says. <laughs> the kids aren't there yet. So, anyway, it was great. Great year on the men's tour. We can't wait for the Australian Open to start. Caitlin and I are going to do a live podcast the 17th of December in New York City. So if you're in the tri-state area or in the area, jump in a car or train, pop up here. We're going to have a live a podcast. Sadly, Petco won't be there. She'll be back. I won't be there, you. but thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Hey. And uh, see you next year for a wrap-up of 2024. Muchas gracias. Dank je wel in Dutch. Uh, you know, I would just say thank you, Petco, for always being my friend and coming on the podcast we love you and how's retirement just real quick fun yeah good good yeah, yeah. All right. doing good. this doing right. this <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thanks for joining us again for the wrap up of the men's and we'll hear from you real or you'll hear from us real soon cheers bye cheers <laughs>